Good morning, Trailview. Please stand for the reading of God's word in Mark 3, 7 through 19. Jesus withdrew with his disciple to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Indumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and might send them out to, pre to preach and have authority to cast out demons. <clears throat> He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to grab it and get it out. Open it up to Mark chapter 3. Also want to point out to you guys, um, we have purchased more of these Mark journals. Um, if you would like one, they're five bucks. That's what they cost us. Um, and just to reimburse the church for buying them for uh, your use. They're just uh, the Bible printed in a journal form that we encourage you guys to use if, it, if it's something you would enjoy or find fruitful to use as we continue walking through the Gospel of Mark. Um, feel no obligation to use this. We just want it to be a re helpful resource to you if you'd like to use it. So these are in the back by the group's wall. Um, if you'd like one, they're five bucks. You can grab them afterwards. My name is Derek Kimes. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new here to Trailview Church, I would encourage you to fill out one of these cards at some point through our worship gathering. And you can do a few things with it. Our hope and goal with this card is to just connect with you, help follow up with you from your visit this morning, or if there's any next steps you need to take this morning to help you walk through those next steps. So you can either fill this out and bring it directly to myself or Pastor Brandon. We're typically in the back area uh, after our worship gathering, or you can drop it in the black box, or you can do it digitally with this QR code. Also on the back of it is a prayer card. If there are things going on in your own life, personally, things throughout our worship gathering that the Holy Spirit just brings to light in you, that you're like, man, I need Jesus to work in me or in this, uh, or use this card. You can do those same things with it. Bring it to us directly, drop it in the box, or do it digitally. Uh, we pray for these things every Tuesday that you guys give to us throughout the week. So uh, take advantage of this card if you uh, are new here or if there's particular steps you need to take or uh, if there's any prayers you, you would like for us to join you in praying, um, please, please use that card. Um, let me ask you guys a question as we dive into the Gospel of Mark. What does... Uh, the people and the things that you follow in life, maybe on social media, tell the world about yourself. Like the things that you follow. So if, you, if I was to get uh, unrestricted access to your Instagram or your Facebook page, what would I see? Who would I see under your I follow list? 
Who would I see follows you? Uh, what news feeds and articles and, and things like that would show up in your Facebook feed? Uh, or maybe you're like, I don't do the whole social media thing, you're holier than me, and, and if that's true, like, uh, then what, what news feeds or outlets do you find? You go to the Dredge Report or whatever you do uh, to get your news or things going on in the world. Um, what entertainment do you consume as a person in the Western world filled with constant barrage of look at this, look at this, you need this, you need this, like kind of world? Uh, what do all of those things communi- uh, co- collectively tell the world about you? So if you were to like open up that part of your life, what would it reveal about you? Uh, some have said that we are just simply a combination of the five people we spend the most time with. If you look at like, who are the five people in your life that you spend the majority of your time with or around? Um, you're some mixed bag of those five people. And and so that reveals some things to us. And so today, as we get back into the Gospel of Mark, um, we're going to look at who followed Jesus. But not just for the sake of like, ooh, what were their names? But like, what does who followed Jesus reveal to us about Jesus? Uh, Like, we're walking through the Gospel of Mark. We're at chapter 3, we're getting back in this, we'll be here until Advent, this whole fall, looking at Jesus. We're beholding our King. So, So who is our King's company? Who does our king break bread with? Who does our king uh, share drinks with? Who does our king like play and party and have fun with? Like Jesus, our king, who is his company? Uh, Like the people that share your dinner table reveal something about what you value in life. It does. It tells a story to anyone who's paying attention about you, about what you care about, about what you value, about what you're doing in and with your life. And the same is true as we look in Mark chapter 3, verse 7, we see who followed Jesus, and it reveals something about this King, Jesus, in his company, those who came with him. So if you have been journeying along with us through Mark, we're picking up right where we left off last Advent in, in November, and we're going to continue journaling through, journeying through um, the Gospel of Mark until we get to the end. And yeah, it might take a handful of years because uh, we're not going to just chug along without stopping and intermittently. But uh, our whole hope and goal is this, that you and I would behold Jesus, our King. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We with unveiled faces, by faith in Jesus, the veil has been removed. And we behold the glory of the Lord. Colossians tells us that the glory of God is made visible in Jesus. So when we walk through Mark, we're looking at Jesus. And Mark, unique to the other Gospels, focuses on the actions, the activities of Jesus more than the teaching of Jesus. Giving us a different angle into the life of Jesus. Not the like, what did Jesus say that I should do, but... What did Jesus actually personally do in his life? And so that's what we'll see today. We'll see who did Jesus surround himself with? Who came to Jesus? And here's the main point of this entire morning. Jesus came to rescue and save, not to judge and condemn. 
Jesus came to rescue and save, not to judge and condemn. And it's clearly seen in who followed Jesus. And there were two kinds of people which we're going to look at. There were two groups of people who were the king's company. The downcast, that's the first one we'll look at, and the disciple. Like that's the company of our king, the downcast and the disciple. That's who he came to rescue and save. The downcast and made them disciples. And it reveals to us something about the heart of Jesus. You think about it, like, where do most, who do most kings, earthly human kings, surround themselves with? Other royalty, right? I mean, like, you occasionally see, like, the Queen of England, like, on the, not really on the street, but have normal people come to her. But most of the time, if you look at the Queen of England, it's like famous celebrities and, like, other world leaders who come to meet and do the little curtsy bow thing to the Queen of England. In the same way, like that's kind of the stereotypical thing. Kings associate with kingly type people, and if Jesus, Mark's gospel, paints the picture of this king of God's kingdom, Jesus, and his company looks vastly different than the company of all of the other kings, it tells us something about our king. It unveils to us something about the heart of our King, Jesus, that brings a deep level of comfort, a drawing, a, a like letting down of guard that he wants to be and surrounds himself with and finds company among the downcast and the disciples. And I don't know if you would say like right now, like, yeah, I'm, I would say I'm downcast right now. And if so, welcome. <laughs> Jesus wants you in his company, in that place, right now, today. Maybe you're like, no, I'm not downcast right now, but I just want to be with Jesus. Disciple, welcome with Jesus as your companion, as your king. We see this in two parts. It's the two paragraphs that this section takes up. Look at this first one, the downcast, in Mark 3, 7 through 12. It says this, also, I'm probably not going to read this as well as Kathy Tice did. She killed it with all the names and places in here. So, yeah. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed. From Galilee to Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard that all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So who is following Jesus? To kind of put this into context, all of the religious people just decided not to follow Jesus. Like if you read in the paragraph before this, all the religious people, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the guys who are leading God's people, Israel, not like Jesus' followers, uh, all of those guys just decided, yep, we're not following this guy, and left town to develop a plan to kill him. 
That's, that's what just happened. Yet there's still this massive crowd, but who, who does Jesus draw to him in this massive crowd? Who is this massive crowd made up of? There are people from every, like literally if you pull up a map of first century Israel, the only place he doesn't mention is Samaria. And that's an intentional thing. Samarians didn't associate with, they wouldn't go to this crowd. They wouldn't be welcome in this crowd. But Jesus goes to Samaria. But it's literally everywhere. That this crowd is made up of people from across all of Israel. That everyone is interested and comes and seeks after Jesus from every region and every part of the, the nation. And they come because of what Jesus has done. They've seen these powerful moves of God in Jesus, healing thousands and thousands of people. John in his gospel says all of the miracles couldn't fill all the books of the whole world. That's, and just FYI, yeah, they didn't have the printing press, but they still had libraries. And those libraries had lots of books. So they came because they heard of the power of Jesus, but who were they? Like I said, they were not the religious elites. They were not the religious elites. Those guys wanted to kill Jesus. They were the desperate, the sick, the demon-possessed, the social outcast, the religious outcast, the untouchables, not like in theory, in actuality. No touching people. Like that's what this crowd, this great crowd of people around Jesus is made up of. These people who are desperately sick. You see Jesus, there's kind of these two crowds we see play out in the gospel of Mark or all of the gospels. You have the religious elites and then you have these desperate people. And Jesus has something to say to the religious elites. And it's this, woe to you. And then he has something to say to these desperate people. Come to me. That to the, the religious elites of Jesus' day, which just FYI, if you're sitting in this church, you would fit that typical stereotype in their day. Because you were welcomed in synagogue. And Jesus says to those religious elites who now want to kill him, woe to you. But to these desperate, sick, needy, social outcasts, religious outcasts, untouchables, Jesus says, come to me. And he displays that in his life. That he drew massive crowds of needy, sick, demon-possessed people. And just to clarify, I'm sure this was like a crazy crowd. You think about it, like these people are desperate for help. So much so that when you read this, you can be like, oh, Jesus got in a boat. It's like, he got in a boat because there were so many people who wanted to touch him that they would literally have, like, squished him. So it's not like, ooh, get away from me, like a king sitting on his throne or like the Pope in his little caravan thing where it's glass walls so nobody can touch him. That's not Jesus. He's like, hey, I want to be here with you guys, but I don't want to die yet. <laughs> so I'm going to stand on a boat and talk to you. And he healed, and he healed, and he healed, and he, they're demon-possessed people, and they're desperately diseased and oppressed people all coming to Jesus. And what does this reveal to us about the heart of Jesus? That he wants those who are desperate and needy, those who are weary and heavy laden, who have burdens upon them, to come to him. 
That he had a gravity about himself that drew broken, rejected, sick, poor, needy people to him. Like this wasn't accidental. Like this wasn't just like, well, that's who's coming, let's just roll with it. (laughs) No, it's not accidental, it's completely on purpose because it's who Jesus is. He wanted, he wants the needy to come to him. He wants the desperately sick to come to Him. Those who are aware of their need to come to Him. It reveals to us this warmth, this openness, this like inviting Jesus. That He wants you to come to Him. And and I imagine it was super complicated I and mean, you think, uh, like, there, there's another group of people, Jesus says, let them come to me. Who are they? Children. Bottom of the barrel socially, in their world. To, to the sick, to the needy, to the, the broken hearted, to the, 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 the weary, to the children, Jesus says, come to me. And his own disciples in that moment say, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus says, no, no, no. This is what I'm here for. This is what I'm here for. For the broken, for the needy, for the desperately sick. For those whose lives don't look pretty and put together. Jesus says, come. And the crowds surrounded him of this kind of people. So the question for us, if we are Jesus' followers, his disciples... If we are the church of Jesus, His bride, we ought to reflect the heart of Jesus in this. Like in, in your personal life and in our life together as, uh, as this church, we ought to reflect this heart of Jesus. And so, so the first thing would be like, do we see brokenness? Do we see people in need? Do we see people who are in deeply dark places, who are entangled in sin, who don't know and don't follow God, who are needy? Do we see them? It's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes to see. Do we intentionally avoid broken, needy, Desperate, hurting people. Those who are downcast and needy. See, Jesus did not avoid these kinds of people. He welcomed them. So do we see these kinds of people or do we intentionally try to build our lives around avoiding them? I can tell you, like, it's... One of the biggest reasons we might find ourselves trying to avoid them is because it's messy and hard and complicated. And so it's easier sometimes to just go like, whoop, in your life. Just to put up blinders to everything else. I think social media has done this most clearly. It's literally filtering every single thing that you see. To only see what you want to see, what you said you want to see, and you're blind to everything else, creating an empathy void culture. 
Jesus sees another crowd in chapter 6. We'll get there later this fall. And he had compassion on them to suffer with in their need because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So when we do we see and when we see what stirs up in your heart, when you drive down Lancaster Avenue in Fort Worth, What stirs up in your heart? When you see the single mom pushing her baby through Walmart at 11 o'clock at night, what stirs in your heart? Sometimes this phrase stirs up in people's hearts. You got there by your own doing. Yeah, you're in that place right now, and it's because of your choices. How dare we carry ourselves with such pride to look at the downcast, the needy, the broken with zero compassion as if we got where we are by our doing and not the grace of Jesus at work in your heart and life. You see, it's easy and natural and cheap to live with our hearts postured with condemnation and judgment. And we do that by just keeping things out of you and away when they're broken or dirty or messy or complicated or needy. It's easy to carry ourselves with judgment and condemnation it's natural, and it's cheap. It doesn't cost you anything. Emotionally, mentally, physically, like monetarily, it doesn't cost you anything. It's easy. But compassion and a movement towards the needy like Jesus is hard. It's hard emotionally to bear the burdens of people who've walked through and are currently in really hard places in life. It's hard physically. It's like going against the grain. It's not natural. It doesn't come easy. It's against everything that you naturally want. And it's costly. It might literally cost you dollars and cents. Much less the other non-tangible ways that it costs us to have compassion and move towards the needy and the broken. One of these ways is Jesus, and the other is not. Jesus says, it says in, in John 3, 17, I've not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through me. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came with compassion to move humbly towards those who need Him most deeply. And so should we. We should see and we should have stir in our hearts compassion that moves us towards those in need. As a church, uh, our focus should be in the same line with Jesus. Towards those who need Him. Outwardly focused towards those in our community who need Jesus. I am I have very little interest in Trellview Church being a church that reaches church people. 
I'll say it again. I have very little interest in Trailview Church being a church that reaches church people. Brandon just did this. <laughs> Not in like spite, but in yes! <laughs> God has called us to something so much bigger than gathering crowds of Christians that already love Jesus. And it's to move into the mess as a church. To be filled with people who love Jesus and need Jesus and are looking for Jesus every single day. A place where people can tangibly experience the compassion and patience of Jesus in the midst of their brokenness and need. Like as a church, Jesus says, come to me. Broken, needy, messy people. And we ought to say, broken, needy, messy people, let's go get them. Like Jesus did. Because Jesus has come to me. And he surrounds himself with and he draws this kind of people to himself. So are you today, are you, are, are you desperate? Are you downcast? You find yourself in a destitute and needy place. Come to Jesus today. Come to Him. There's no place that's too far gone where you've just crossed the line one too many times or gone too far beyond the line that Jesus doesn't have mercy and grace and steadfast love for you. So maybe you're here this morning, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus and find forgiveness of your sin. You will only find that in Jesus. So my encouragement to you is to come to Him and put your faith and trust in Him today. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then today be reminded that Jesus surrounds Himself with messy, broken, needy people just like you and me. So we can humbly come to Him. Like we ought to be this crowd that's so desperate that we're like trying to touch Jesus. Like this crowd. We need Him so much that we're going to do anything possible to touch Jesus. This is the, it's another version of the persistent widow who just like, Ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and ask for God to do something on repeat because she's desperate and needy. We all are desperate and needy. The people that come to Jesus are those who are aware of it. See, the Pharisees are just as needy as this crowd, but they're blind to their own need for Jesus, and so they seek to kill him instead of come to him and find life. So it wasn't only the downcast that followed Jesus, though. The, the first one is this. this. This crowd of people is made up of downcast, desperate, broken, needy, and demon-possessed people. The second group of, of people that followed Jesus were these 12 men that he called his disciples. The disciples. And we see this in verses 13 through 19. And it goes like this. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those who he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, 
James, the son of Zebedee, and John, uh, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonagers, that is the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, also, uh, or Andrew's Peter's brother, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Uh, Okay, so we have this massive crowd of people, and from this massive crowd of people, with Jesus also is, are his disciples. There's already a crowd of disciples because these guys are, are people following Jesus who he says, hey, get a boat ready for me. But among those disciples, he specifically calls these 12 guys out for a little bit more intensive way of following Jesus. And who were they? Like, this is just clarification. This is a, a mixed mix bag of misfits. Like, there's nothing about these guys. The best thing you get is four of them were professional fishermen, or at least apprentices. They may not even been like good enough to do it for a job. They couldn't catch fish one day. We already know that. <laughs> and Jesus is like, hey, just try the other side of the boat. It's not a like, you're dumb moment. It's a miracle of Jesus moment. But like, like they're, they're a mixed bag of misfits. One of the most clear pictures of this is you have Simon the Zealot and Matthew, also known as Levi, who was a tax collector. Zealots were like the like nationalist, like Israel pride forever people. Like, get the Romans out of here. They're the like, I'm not shopping at any Roman stores. I'm not buying any Roman clothes. I'm not doing like that's the zealot. And then you have Levi who has completely said, I'm going to work for the Romans. <laughs> and I'm going to take money from all of my people to give to the Romans. These guys would not have had dinner together, would not have hung out together, would not have like looked at each other with like a half grimace or smile. Like no, they would have hated each other. But in Jesus these guys are unified as disciples by faith in Jesus. But it's not just a mixed bag of guys It's a mixed bag of misfits who God has given a greater purpose. You see this play out here. He says in in verse 14, And he appointed the twelve whom he named apostles, so that, if you're reading your Bible, going through the CBR journal, and you see so that, that's like the, here's why. That's the like because purpose statement. So that. Why did Jesus call twelve disciples? Here it is. This is it. Why does Jesus bring near and to him these disciples so that? And it's three things. To be with, to be sent, and to be empowered. Like there are three things Jesus calls these men to himself to do. To be with, to be sent, and to be empowered. And we're going to walk through those. He says this. He says, so that they might be with him to experience the love of Jesus. Like, literally, this is like the friendship component to our life and relationship with Jesus. Like, Jesus wanted these men to be with him. Uh, It it points out to the humanity of Jesus that he, like Adam, pre-sin, was not good to be alone, and needed and wanted the companionship of these 12 guys. So he calls them to himself to be with him. And in being with Him, they become like Him. From life 
on life from see as I uh, see what I see, hear what I say, do what I do. Disciple. They experienced the love of Jesus on a day in, day out basis because they were with him. They beholded Jesus as king by being with him. And for you and I, if you are uh, if you've gone from the like needy outcast to faith in Jesus, you're now this disciple of Jesus. The first part of your life should be centered around this idea of being with Jesus. Like he has called you to himself to be with him. And here's the deal, there's not a microwave version of this. How have we seen God's people throughout all of time and history, be with Him. It's through the spiritual disciplines or practices or exercises. That's how we be with Jesus on a daily basis. Through Bible reading, through prayer, through meditation, not like empty your head, but fill your head and think on meditation. Through silence and solitude, through Sabbath, resting, through fasting, through gathering with God's people each week. That's how we be with Jesus, how we hear his voice. Now we have to, as disciples of Jesus, start in a posture and place of my whole purpose and goal today is to be with Jesus through the spiritual disciplines. You and I need to start, just like these disciples did, with this being with Jesus before we ever do anything that Jesus called us to do, to be with him. This is how we know the way of Jesus. So we know Him personally. This is how we become like Him. It's by being with Him. So we uh, got a whole bunch of these. Specifically, uh, is a free resource given to us by Crossway um, that's just a helpful way of you and I understanding and knowing the heart of Jesus to be with Him. It's a book called Gentle and Lowly. Um, it's the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. And like... This is, I've heard multiple people that I know personally, you can read the endorsements on the back, describe this as one of the best books they've ever read as a Christian, particularly because it opens them up to see the heart of Jesus. Not like, what did Jesus say? Or what did Jesus do? But what, like, who was Jesus as a person? Like, what is his heart now? And so, uh, my encouragement to you is to grab a copy of this book. There's a whole bunch of them back there on that table, on your way out, grab it. And here's my encouragement, what, what I would love to see happen over the course of this fall here at Trailview, is that you grab this book and you grab two or three other men or women in Trailview and you say, hey, let's read this together. And let's talk about it. Maybe with your spouse if you're married. Maybe with another guy or girl in your home group. Grab this book and begin slowly working through it and seeing the heart of Jesus in a fresh new way. So grab this, use it as a means of opening your eyes up to see Jesus and be with him each day. It's super easy to read. The chapters are like five to seven pages and really easily digestible. So grab this book today on your way out so that you can see Jesus a little bit more clearly. It's helpful. Just a helpful resource to do so all with this end. That being a disciple means being with Jesus.
That being a disciple means being with Jesus. So if we say we're a disciple, if we actually have put our faith in Jesus, we ought to be with him. The second thing is to be sent by Jesus. He says, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. That there is an intentional, intended goal in you becoming a Christian, putting your faith and trust in Jesus and following him as a disciple. And it's a missional movement outward in your life. Being sent to the world, to the outcast, to the downcast, to the needy, to the broken. Why? To preach the good news of the gospel. Like, being a disciple means being sent by Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus means being with Him, and it means being sent by Him. So ask yourself the question, who is Jesus sending you towards? Who in your life is Jesus sending you towards? Maybe it's employees you have if you are in leadership or own a business or something like that. Maybe it's coworkers if you have a job. Maybe it's a, a physical, literal neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. Who is Jesus sending you towards? Maybe there's uh, some things your kids, if you have kids that are regularly around and doing, that the Lord has given your kids that interest in, in hobbies so that you might go towards them. That's the posture that I have towards the other 10 families, nine families that make up Noah and Levi's Little League baseball team this fall. It's like, hey, here are nine families the Lord is sending our family towards for the purpose of preaching the gospel, them coming to faith in Jesus. How can you go together? When Jesus sends out the disciples, he sends them out two by two to go and to preach and to cast out demons. So how can you go at this together? How can you partner in being sent? To be a disciple of Jesus means to be sent by Jesus out into our neighborhood, into our community to make disciples of Jesus. And the third thing here we see is this. He says, and to have authority to cast out demons. And for the, the, the apostles, this is a little bit unique, but not disconnected for you and I. Particularly because Jesus gave the apostles a unique power to go alongside of their preaching which we see throughout like the book of Acts, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle done by the apostles to like give the stamp of like wow God approval on their preaching and day by day people became Christians and followed Jesus. But nonetheless, you and I like the disciples are empowered by God when we're sent. But we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. That Jesus goes and he leaves with us, sends us the Holy Spirit to work with boldness and power throughout our lives, throughout this mission that we're sent on. There's a story that, uh, that plays out in the Gospels. It's really funny. The disciples have been given the power the, uh, to cast out demons. They've been sent by Jesus. They've been with Jesus, and they go out, and they start like, trying to cast out demons, and they come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, it's not working. <laughs> 
Like, hey, this, we've been trying to cast this demon out and it's not working. And Jesus says, well, this, this kind of demon can only be cast out by, by prayer. And so Jesus then cast the demon out. But well, here's the thing I want to see from that. They tried. <laughs> they tried. Like they, they had a confidence in the empowerment of God in their life to go with boldness and try. I'm not saying you should go and like grab somebody and try to cast out a demon tomorrow at work because they were mean or something. Like, no. No, what I want us to see in that is this, that the disciples lived with the realization that they have been empowered by God to go. And that same thing is true for you and I. We have been empowered by God, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us by faith in Jesus, to go with confidence and boldness to preach the gospel. So many times we say no for people because we don't ask, we don't share, because we're afraid. One, what they might say. Two, because you don't know. And the Holy Spirit empowers you to speak what He wants you to speak and to move in the heart of that person. Like being a disciple means that you are empowered with the Holy Spirit to go towards the outcast, downcast, and make disciples of Jesus. Throughout this whole entire passage, we see the heart of Jesus, particularly in who Jesus was followed by, who Jesus surrounded himself with, who Jesus drew to himself. He drew the outcast, the social outcast, the religious outcast, the needy, the downcast, the broken, the, the sick and diseased, the oppressed and demon-possessed. The people that most, if not all, of the religious people in Jesus' day didn't want anything to do with. Like our King, Jesus, filled his company in a radical way with people who were desperate and needy. Which is why he was rejected. Because he didn't act like a king like they would expect. And hang out with all the diplomats and professionals. And if we like are called by Jesus as his disciples to be with him and to be sent out, we ought to move towards those who need Jesus, particularly those who are aware of their desperate need for Jesus. Jesus wants you. In all your mess, the church ought to be a messy place. Not because of acting dumb, <laughs> but a messy place because we all bring our mess to Jesus desperately in need for Him every single day. It ought to be a place for people who don't feel like the church is a safe place for them can come and be loved and cared for, patiently walked with, feeling no need to pre themselves up with religious words and actions and dress. 
Like this is who Jesus has sent us to in this community. It's who we pray this building so long as we're here is filled with. People who know every single day, every single Sunday, that they desperately need Jesus. People who are sent out on Sunday mornings into our community for six days to live with their lives directed towards those who are broken and needy. And they regather the next Sunday, knowing their own need to worship Jesus who says, I want you. I want you to be with me. I want you to go for me. I've empowered you to do so. So maybe you're here today and you need Jesus. You need to put your faith and trust in him. I want to encourage you to do that. He says, anyone who call upon my name will be saved. To cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to rescue and save me, to forgive me of my sin.'"